Istanbul, Constantinople, Byzantium. For more than two millennia, people have lived, traded, and traveled to the city that straddles two continents. A city that has seen emperors, kings, queens, and sultans stroll beneath its gates. Last year, more than 15 million people visited this marvel of the modern and ancient worlds. But as the planet staggers beneath the weight of a pandemic, the people of Turkey wonder if travel will ever return in these numbers again. This week, we take a journey to Istanbul during the middle of the pandemic to see what the present and the future of international travel might look like. Welcome to the Get Lost Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Joe Sills, freelance writer and explorer. Today's guest is an online educator, a travel content curator who lives the life of luxury at the world's most exotic resorts and destinations. If you have dreamed about it, she's probably been there. She hosts master courses that aim to inspire others to get paid to travel the world. Her name's Katerina Mello, but you most likely know her as Professional Traveler. Katerina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be part of your show. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. I feel like it's been forever since we were at Lake Tahoe on a press trip with a whole bunch of other writers in a in a world that seems like it's gone, you know? Yeah, that, that was uh, in the before times. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as often happens, and listeners of the show are aware, um, we try to peel back the curtain on the travel industry a little bit. Um, but I got an invite, uh, an email from a resort at Lake Tahoe that said, hey, will you come here? We want to show you this to, for consideration for a travel channel story. So I flew in and I met Katerina and a couple other people and we spent a few days eating incredible food and soaking in amazing scenery. And it was just uh, really an unbelievable introduction to that area. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, I think that back then, that was my first time in Tahoe during the summer and it was just such a different place compared to the winter and it was great to just get to explore the area a little bit more. Yeah, we had paddle boards and jet skis and uh, it, it was really cool, but some of that is actually your daily job now. Uh, normally, you travel the world and you do go to resorts and exotic destinations and all of that stuff at Tahoe is like a microcosm of what you might do in Bora Bora or in Santorini or a place like that, yeah? Yes, that is correct. That's my. It's been my full-time job uh, for almost two years now, um, a little over a year and a half. 
How do you do that? Um, I mean, how do you get into traveling around the world professionally? I think that's a question that a lot of my students ask is like, how do I get started if I don't have a lot of vacation time or if I don't have the money to spend on those things? And when I started almost four years ago, I, I had a full-time job. I was working at Google, very demanding job, and I only have um, three weeks of vacation a year, which I know is more than a lot of people. Uh, but I still, I wanted to make traveling my full-time job because that was my passion. And I managed to make that work with a full-time job. So the way you do it is you use the time that you have, weekends, you do day trips, you explore your own city. That's one thing that I always tell people is wherever you live is a travel destination for everyone else. So even if you just create travel content from where you live, it might not be travel for you, but it's travel for everyone else. So you can get started like that. And with time, when you have, if you have more vacation time or if you end up doing it full time, then you can go and explore places that are further away. But to start, it's always uh, easy to start near you. I feel like a lot of people probably listening in the car right now or they're on the move. But if you're not, you should get on Instagram right now and just get a visual of what Katerina's uh, job is like. Uh, super easy handle, professional traveler. I don't know how you got that, but congrats. <laughs> Thank you. It's actually a funny story about that handle. Um, I had another handle, which I don't even remember what it was, but I just wasn't happy with it. And one day I just started searching for random like handles and that was available. And I was like, how's that possible? So I took it. And then like a couple months later, I got this message from someone saying, hey, that actually used to be my handle. And it just wasn't working for me. So I tried something else. And like right when I changed mine, like 10 minutes later, you found it just as a coincidence. Um, and he was like, and good luck. Like, I wish you all the best. It wasn't working for me. I hope it does for you. But it was just, just luck. Wow. That's, I mean, what are the odds? And then that the former owner would just be cool enough to be like, yeah, actually. Um, Cause there are, there's another Get Lost podcast. It's about that TV show from like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And those people are assholes. Like they, they will not sell me the domain name, even though they haven't recorded an episode in like a decade. Yeah, there's a lot of people just hold um, handles like that, and like it was so nice of from the sky to just actually just wish me luck mm-hmm. um, and say he was happy for me that I found it right away. So yeah, I got so lucky with that. Tell us about Google. I mean, to me, when we talk about dream jobs, of course, for you and I, it's it's traveling or exploring, but a lot of people would say Google is a dream destination. What did you do there? Um, I did a bunch of different things. So I worked at Google for six years. I started in the office in Sao Paulo. I'm actually from Brazil. So that's where I started. And two years in, I moved to Michigan. And then from Michigan, I went to California. So three different locations. I had probably five different jobs, but I worked in partnerships at first, um, then worked in sales and marketing, and then lastly in strategy and operations for sales. So when you moved from Sao Paulo to Michigan, I mean, obviously the culture is totally similar. (laughs) (laughs) The culture, the weather, so similar. What was that experience like? It was a big culture shock. Um, I had lived in the US before. I lived in New York for a year. I lived in um, San Diego for a few months before. So I knew what to expect like from the US, but Michigan was a completely different experience. It was my first time in the Midwest. Um, 
and I usually just live in bigger cities, so that was also a change for me. I was living in Ann Arbor, which I don't even know the population is not a big city. Yeah. Uh, so it was a big culture shock. Um, I was also the first foreign at Google in that specific office. So I feel like I went from being a major- like part of the majority in the office that I was to being a total minority. And that was a big shock for me. Did you find like that as other than just being socially isolated, were there obstacles to being a Brazilian dropped in the middle of the Midwest? That was just like obstacles. Like I had like been to places in the winter with snow, but I have never lived in a place in the winter with snow. Yeah. So like I didn't even know what to buy to like keep my car working in the winter or like how do I even drive or like a lot of just things like that since I didn't grow up in snow I had no idea and that was just such such a challenge for us to figure out we usually just figured out things when it went wrong it was like oh the car doesn't turn on why oh because you forgot x y and z um so it was it was definitely challenging uh I feel like as a Tennessean I can relate because we don't get much snow and if you stuck me in the Michigan winter I would probably just die (laughs) yeah I wouldn't know what to do Um, tell me about your first press trip. So you're at Google and you're exploring San Francisco, which is just an incredible place to get a start as a, as a travel writer anyway. Um, but tell me about the first time that this became a reality for you. I was actually in Michigan when I started. Um, okay, okay. And I started with like, I would go on a weekend to Chicago or to New York, or I would even go on like business trips with Google and then extend a day or take the weekend mm-hmm. and explore. So that was how I was creating content in the beginning. And I was also using a ton of very old photos I had from like previous trips. And then now I'm not going to remember exactly what the date, but then I got this invite to go to Switzerland but I had on a press trip, but I had just taken like vacation, like personal vacation the week before. So I right. couldn't take vacation again. So I had to decline. And I was just so sad because that was my very first invite. You know how excited you get about it. Uh, yeah. And to Switzerland of all places. I know. Right. And it was during the summer and I was like, oh, my God, like, yes, I really want to go. But I just could not go because of my day job. Um, And then a few months later, I got an invite to go to the Bahamas um, to this resort called Bahamar. And that was the first press trip that I went to. It was um, over a long weekend. So that was easier for me to plan with my job. I only had to take a day or two off. And then I flew to the Bahamas and it was just giant press trip with like 20 influencers and their plus ones. So it was so many people and most of them were doing it full time. And it was my very first press trip. So to me, it was just so interesting to get to know how other people do it full time, how they make money, how this industry work, how they like even take photos and things like that. Uh, And is that where it clicked for you to just say, okay, this is like these other people are doing this so I can do this? Yeah, I think that trip and then another trip I went to Mexico a few months later where I also met a lot of people that were doing it full time was when it clicked that like, wow, this is really like it's scalable. There's so many different ways of monetizing and it's just the reality to so many people. So why not that be my reality too? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk to the to the listener out there who is dreaming about living this life and being able to use their Instagram account or their TikTok or whatever to get around the globe. What do you think 
holds somebody back from that? What tools do they need to get started? I think a lot of people are afraid of being judged by their loved ones. I think that's one of the biggest things I hear from others. And I remember when I started to, there's a stigma around influencers, there's stereotypes and people are just don't even see it as a real job. People that are not in this industry, they think like, oh yeah, that's not a real job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of just fear of judgment from others. Um, a lot of fear of failing too. Like what if I try and all my friends see me trying and failing that like I'm going to become the joke. So I think that's the number one reason why people like hesitate before doing this. And I also see people being guilty of not being happy with the life they have. So for example, when I was at Google, like I was checking the boxes on what a perfect life like should look like. I graduated from a great college. I had Mm -hmm. an engineering degree. I got a dream job at Google. Mm -hmm. I married my college uh, sweetheart. I moved countries, got promoted. Like, why are you not happy? Like people are just even like feel guilty to even say they're not happy and they want something different. It's something that's not traditional. And you did all of the things. I mean, I hear this a lot from friends and they say, I've done all of the things. And like you said, I went to college. I got a degree. I married somebody. We're living together. We bought a house. Why am I not fulfilled? Um, And for you, the missing piece was travel. Yeah, it was just missing passion and purpose. I'm like, yeah, it's a great company. I still love Google to death. It's such a great company. They take really good care of the employees. But Google's mission wasn't my mission. Um, it wasn't my passion and like I was just missing that purpose. So I think that's what when I stopped and said, okay, what can I do that I would feel passionate about and I would feel fulfilled and like that I have purpose and that was traveling to me and sharing that with others. So when we talk about sharing it with others, give me an idea of this master course you have. Um, full disclosure, Katarina is not a sponsor of the show or anything. Uh, we're still looking for those, by the way. So email me if you want to be one. <laughs> but I, I'm just curious. What I've never taken a master course. I probably should. Um, what does it look like? What kind of feedback do you get from people? Yeah, so I think it's been, when I first started, there was nothing out there to help me. Like, it's it's not a career that there's a college you go to. So there's just no formal education. And then even informal, I just couldn't find anything online or I would reach out to other people that were successful and like wouldn't get a response. So when I started, I always had this in my mind that if I ever like made it in a way, I would help others and like provide that guidance that was missing when I started. So I actually had this plan to work on this course for a very long time, but because I was traveling so much, I never had the time to sit down and do it, which is the silver lining of this pandemic is that I finally had the time to like finish this project. But basically, uh, the Influencer Master course is a course that will teach you everything you need to know, will give you all the tools, all the knowledge, all the tried and true strategies, everything you need to go from zero followers, not even having an Instagram account, not even know how Instagram works, to being a full-time influencer. Uh, the one thing I always tell people that there's no overnight success. It's not luck. It's uh, knowledge and the right tools and the right guidance, but you shouldn't expect to be like the next viral person in two days. There's a lot of work that goes into it. You're probably going to work more than you think because you only see people only see the fun things um, when they're watching someone's stories, but they don't see all the work that goes behind it. That's right. But if you are really passionate about it, if you know your why, if you know why you are doing this, 
you're not going to mind working on this because it, it's your passion. So you don't even feel like you're working and success eventually will come and you can be a full, like you can make a full-time income and probably earn more than you do in, in your job right now because it's just so scalable. So basically the master course is, will give you all those tools and knowledge to get you from, from the starting point to being a full-time uh, content creator. We're talking to Katerina Mello. She's a luxury content uh, or a luxury travel content curator. You can follow her on Instagram at Professional Traveler, where you can also get some information on those courses. Um, Katerina, today we want to talk to you about a recent trip because this is your job. And even though there's been a global pandemic, you haven't been able to stop working, which by nature means you have to travel. Yep. Uh, I saw you were recently on a trip to Turkey, and I'm going to ask you today to walk us through that. How did that trip develop, and what were your goals going there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so take me through the airport. You you leave San Francisco, and you're on the plane, and how is everything different than it would be normally? The airports, uh, at least in San Francisco, are just, the, the international terminal is so empty. It's It's weird. You walk where before it was thousands of people running everywhere, and now there's just you and a couple other people, no lines, no anything, um, no, not even like a lot of food options. There's only usually just one place open and they rotate. So it's a completely different experience to just walk into this empty airport. And I know that's changing with time, like it's getting busier and busier, but the, the, like from the beginning of the pandemic till like September, it was very, very empty. So it was just a completely different experience. When you're in the terminal, what is the scene like there? Uh, very few people, everyone wearing masks, I hope. Everyone wearing masks, uh, for sure. That's mandatory in the airport. Most people actually wearing um, two or three masks on top of each other in like face shields, gloves. So everyone is being very careful. Um, social distancing, a lot of the seats are closed, like every other seat is closed, so people can social distance more. And also boarding and deep planning is done in a different way. Now it's based on roles. It depends on the airline, but I think most airlines are doing this way where they only board roles one to five. And then once those people are all seated, then they go to the next five. So um, it's actually pretty efficient. And I hear from airline from people in the airline industry that it's taking them a shorter amount of time to board everyone because it's so organized right now. Well, to be fair, the way they did it before was insane. So Yeah, agreed. I mean, it'd, it'd be like 17 zones of people, ants, worms, small mammals, invertebrates. Finally, I get to board. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was always so chaotic. And as some um, airlines, so specifically Turkey, for example, they're not allowing any hint luggage, so you can't take a carry-on. And the reason why is because they don't want people all crowded in the aisles trying to get their bags from the overhead bin. Right. Um, and then they can just go and sit and then leave, like without all of that contact of opening and closing overhead bins. So um, that's a rule in Turkey. So any internal flight in Turkey and also flights from the U.S. for Turkey and back, for example, there um, none of those flights are allowed carry on. You can bring your personal item that goes under the seat in front of you and that's it. So are you on a direct flight into Turkey from San Francisco? Yes, um, I did the Istanbul, um, San Francisco to Istanbul direct with Turkish Airlines. Okay, so you're on Turkish Airlines and you're, after many, many, many hours, <laughs> 
you're starving yeah. and you descend into Istanbul. Tell us what you see there. What do you hear? What does it smell like? And describe uh, the scene. It was a lot more. Well, the Istanbul airport was pretty empty compared to what I've heard. It was before I've never been. It was my first time in Turkey. But I've heard from friends that the Istanbul airport is such a big connecting airport that connects you to the rest of the world. So it's always so, so busy. Mm -hmm. And most of the airport is completely closed. So you walk like 20 minutes inside the airport trying to get to the exit just through all of these closed areas that's wrapped in plastic. So it just makes it even more real that it's the middle of pandemic. The entire airport is wrapped in plastics. So like chairs, the restaurants, everything that was on, once open is just all closed. So you pass through all of that and then go get your bag and then go to, to your hotel. Um, in the city itself, I again, it was my first time, but it didn't feel empty. Um, everyone was out, out and about, um, going to restaurants and going home and going to work. So in Istanbul, I didn't feel like it was that like last crowded, which is a good thing. And all the tourist spots are too. When you get to the hotel, what's your itinerary? My itinerary usually involves shooting content for the hotel that I'm staying, if it's a partner hotel, and also like going to specific spots in the city to take photos to then highlight that on on my social media channels. So I usually have all this locations plan in advance and then the first day I'll just go scout and see how the lighting looks like um, and what's the best time of the day just to make sure the itinerary for the next few days work. And, and then I go and explore all those places to share those experiences with my audience. So walk us through a shoot that you had in Istanbul. Um, tell us about an experience you had there that wasn't quite what you thought it would be at first. I think um, I usually shoot very early in the day because it's just less crowded and then I can have photos without um, other people in it. Um, I think one place that whenever I'm traveling, if I'm, always, if I'm shooting near religious places, I'm always very careful to be respectful of the culture and the religion. And I think there was one shoot that didn't go as expected to me, but not because of me. We went to this beautiful mosque, um, Suleimani, if I'm not pronouncing that right, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was just such a beautiful mosque. And we uh, was, were dressed properly, long sleeves, covering shoulders, knees, all of that to be respectful of their religion. We took a really quick sh shot right outside the door. But then while we were walking around, uh, we saw so many tourists from other countries dressed in a way that is disrespectful to to the culture and the religion there. And I think that was one thing that kind of shocked me that I didn't expect. And uh, they were all trying to do this big photo shoots with photographers. And I didn't think that was very appropriate. So we can get into the nitty gritty here. Um, what exactly were they wearing? And when you say a big photo shoot, how does that compare to the team that you take with you? So I usually, when I'm shooting campaigns like that, it's usually just me and someone else. And that someone else can be a photographer. It can be another influencer. In this case, was another influencer that's a close friend that we always travel together. So then I help her and she helped me. But we are always very careful to like wait when there's no one around and not have people in the photo that don't want to be in your photo and don't want to be in social media. And if there's 
like wear proper clothes and things like that. But then we saw, for example, this girl that she actually ended up getting kicked out. Um, she was wearing uh, a dress that was so revealing. Like I could see her underwear, her back was all uh, like naked back and she was doing all this sexy poses, hugging this pillar. And it's like, it's just it's a mosque. <laughs> like it doesn't even make sense, <laughs> you know? Like this this is fine outside of the mosque, but you're in a mosque, so. Right, exactly. And like hugging a pillar in like a sexy way for like this sensual photo shoot with like three photographers. And this is, it's just like not the place for it. Um, and not even it's not the place, the photo, like it doesn't make sense sense to take a photo like that in a religious place so why would you even want that uh, even if you don't care about the religion like i don't know um so like that was and it took a very long time for her to get kicked out which just showed to me how like the the turkish they were so welcoming everywhere in turkey and they were so grateful that we were there so i think one of the reasons why they didn't kick her out before was that they're just trying to be welcoming to tourists, even those that are disrespecting their religion. They're still trying to make sure it's like tourists come, right? Because they need that uh, for the economy. But right. in the, at the end, they ended up kicking her out because in a very polite way, um, but because it was just too much. I want to talk about some photos that do make sense. Um, not a sexy mosque photo, which is- <laughs> really weird Uh, but there are i feel like in istanbul specifically you see these beautiful travel photos of people on the rooftop with the city behind them and i know that you actually had at least one shoot uh, where you tried to capture that moment as well tell us what that was like yeah that was actually such a weird experience Uh, it's not what i expected at all and i actually shared that on my stories it was like wow this is not what i thought when you see those rooftop um it's like almost looks like a place you get to you go to get coffee or tea and it's this beautiful rooftop with birds flying and like overlooking the city what i thought was that it was an actual like restaurant or place you can go to get a tea or a coffee and then you could take a photo but mm-hmm. when we got there it was actually a photo studio so it's not an authentic experience at all it's not like just a real place that is famous on instagram no it's, it's just it's just a photo studio um and when we got there we asked okay like since we're already here let's just take this photo like how does it work and we asked them and they're like okay so you pay i think it's like $12, if I remember it right, mm-hmm. um, $12 and you have three minutes to take photo at this rooftop and there was at least 50 people waiting. What? So, so you wait like two hours or one hour, I don't know. You can rent like some uh, clothes from them and like this whole thing and then you can pay for their photographer to take a photo or you can take with your own camera. But regardless, you only have three minutes to take your photo. So you wait an hour, you have three minutes, and you leave. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is like not what I thought. By looking on Instagram, you think it's a real place that you go. But no, it's just not authentic at all. So not only do you leave hungry, but you also have this totally inauthentic photo, which then puts a weight on you. I mean, how do you share that with your audience, right? Yeah, exactly. So I ended up not posting um, any photos from that rooftop on my feed. And then on stories, I still have the photo. I might one day 
talk about it specifically but on stories I share that I was like this is not what I thought like looking at other influencers I've never seen anyone mention that this was a photo studio like they just say like oh enjoying tea with this beautiful view so to me that was what I was gonna do there I was enjoy gonna enjoy some tea <laughs> and like some breakfast um, things but no it's just like one setting the same breakfast set the whole day and the same tea you don't even drink it you just use it as a prop jokes on you then yeah exactly <laughs> it reminds me of a, a morning i was in yosemite national park and i had flown out to california this is way before covid and got up at like four in the morning to drive up to to glacier point before sunrise and capture this beautiful photo which you've seen all over instagram and um, i got that and I, me and my partner were the only people there like way before sunrise an hour before sunrise so we got these like blankets laid out and tripods and our gears ready to go and as the sun begins to rise you just hear the the din of a car pulling up and a car pulling up and a car pulling up and it's pretty soon the spot that was just completely in the middle of nowhere and isolated is swarmed with tripods and cameras and models and photographers and i think the scene that you're describing on the rooftops in istanbul just reminds me a lot of that because yeah. You know, Instagram is not real life sometimes. Yeah, do, absolutely not. Do you feel an obligation then to show people places that are authentic? Because you do have a large platform. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I always try to share like very authentic local places, small businesses that are like from a local family. But also, I also go to those famous um, photo locations because. I need those photos for my job. So, but when I do, I always show people the like Instagram versus reality stories because I feel like I don't want people to have the experience that I had. Just show up to a place thinking you're gonna have this epic afternoon tea with a view, and you're in a photo studio. You need to pay for it to do it. Take a photo for three minutes. So I always show both sides. I'm like, here, this is the beautiful view you, I'm looking at, but behind me, there's a hundred people. If you're still fine with that, like, awesome. Like, the view is still gorgeous, like, for example, in Yosemite. But I feel this obligation to show what the reality is behind it, and also the reality of my job, too, not just, like, each location. Like, my life is not this beautiful highlight on Instagram. I have all this work behind the scenes that I do, to be able to share those beautiful places. So I always try to show all of the reality too. Right, because there's editing involved, there's planning, there's a whole a whole host of activities. Uh, tell us what it's like just to walk down the street in, in Istanbul. Um, it's uh, It was my first time in Turkey, as I mentioned, and it's just such a rich country in culture, architecture, um, modern history, ancient history, food, spices, it's just, it's just so much to take in. And it's a very interesting city. You can go to um, Asia and Europe on the same day, just crossing a bridge. And there's just so much like modern and old in one place and just so much to experience that I think I need to go back at least 10 times to be able to see everything that Istanbul has to offer um, and it was just it, I know it's right there in the middle of like Middle East and Europe and everything in between 
and I think it is, it's exactly like that. It's such an interesting city with influences from everywhere. One of the famous scenes in Turkey that I know you went to as well, it's not actually in Istanbul, it's in Cappadocia. Um, how do you get there? Tell people what that's like. And, and for those of you listening that aren't able to look at Katarina's Instagram feed, it's, it's the place where you see all of the balloons at sunrise in Turkey, the hot air balloons. Yeah, it kind of looks like another planet. I think Cappadocia looks like a moon or something. Um, I flew there, so I went to quite a few places in um, Turkey. A lot was driving, but we also flew in between places too. So Cappadocia was my last stop. I We flew there, it was about an hour from where we were before. And right after we landed and we drove about an hour from the airport to where the most touristy part of Cappadocia is. And right when you get there, it's just a landscape that you've never seen before. It looks like, as I said, like you're in the moon or another planet. It's just such an interesting landscape. And then the architecture all just blends with the landscape. So most hotels and houses are actually cave hotels and cave houses that are built into this, what they call fairy chimneys which is this um, landscape in like little hills that they have. So is it the place that felt authentic to you, even though it is so popular? It felt really authentic and it was actually not that crowded. I hear it's super crowded during normal times, but because of the pandemic, it was not. Um, I think Istanbul is such a big city that even the, just the locals, it's already busy enough. But when you go mm-hmm. to a place that depends on tourism, almost 100% like Cappadocia, that's when you actually see the difference in like how many people are there. Um, it was not crowded. Um, and it's just, everything is the small local businesses. So even when there are a lot of tourists, it feels very authentic. Talk to us about the experience of actually getting in a hot air balloon. Um, how early do you have to get there? And then what is it like to, to get in the balloon? to feel it go up and then to land it's it's an amazing experience if you ever have the opportunity to go in a hot air balloon in any place in the world you should absolutely do it it was my third time doing um, hot air balloon and you have to get up really early so it depends on the season uh, because it depends on when the sun rises since it was almost winter it was a little considered a little later so we had to leave our hotel i think at 5 a.m Mm-hmm. Um, the balloons go up around 6, 6.15, which is around when sunrise was. But if you go during the summer, for example, your pickup time at your hotel is usually around 3 a.m. Wow. Uh, because the sunrise will be like 4.30 or 5 a.m. or something like that. So it depends on the sunrise, but you do need to get up super early. You go to the launch location, which shape can change every day. So you don't know where you're going. Uh, that's why they pick you up in the hotel and there's no way for you to just say, oh, I'm going to meet you there because like they will just drive you in the fields in the middle of like nowhere, just like desert basically. And suddenly there's a balloon <laughs> and then they unfold the balloon and blew it up and you get on the basket. But by the time you do that, you look around and there's just so many balloons and I think that's what's really special about Cappadocia is that you're in a balloon which is amazing but just the sight of looking at 200 other balloons around you is just so special. 
Do they, do they sound like anything? They, um, yeah, well, they don't really sound like anything when the fire isn't on. So, like, they will pull this thing, and then there's a huge flame that goes up, and that's how they control you going up and or down is through this huge flame. So when they do turn the flames on, it's very loud, and it's very warm, too. Um, <laughs> Which is probably nice because it looks kind of cold in the morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's also really, it's cold because you were high up too, but because of the, the fire that's like just a few feet from your head, uh, that just makes it all warm. Like your, the top of your head is always very toasty uh, uh, because of the fire. Um, even though it's like kind of far from you, it's still, it's such a huge flame and it's a little loud. So you look out and you're a couple hundred feet up in the air. You see these 200 other balloons over what sort of like a moonscape below you it's being lit by the golden sunrise and what are you feeling at that moment are you feeling like you're at work or are you it, feeling like you made it somewhere no i just feel like i made it somewhere and that my life has purpose um i think i have and that's something i talk about on my instagram sometimes is i have this list of 100 life goals and half of my life goals are travel related obviously <laughs> Um, and then flying on a hot air balloon in Cappadocia was one of my life goals. So that moment to me was just so special. It didn't even, like to me, I wasn't even, I wasn't working. I was just enjoying the moment. Um, and then taking photos and videos for me to like document that experience, which I end up um, sharing on social media, but really is for me that I was doing that. And it just felt really, really special. Yeah, I can understand that feeling as um, as my career has evolved over time. I've gone from years ago trying to take these photos um, that were very staged um, mm -hmm. to try to get social media views, which never really worked. So I should have taken your class. Um, <laughs> but I've gone from that to sort of I document other people and I document things for me. But. Then I'll share them, but it's not necessarily with the intent of anything. Like, I don't necessarily care if I get the likes or the views or whatever. It's just, did I learn something from this experience? And will this photo help me share that with the rest of the world? Yeah, and I think that's what makes you different. And that's like your, um, what I call, I tell my students, it's like, you have to find your superpower. If your superpower is sharing stories from other people, then that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't be just trying to copy a photo that works for someone else because that's that might be their superpower. Yeah. Um, so and, and it doesn't work when you try to be someone else or just try to be have the strength of something else that you don't. You really have to find what's unique to you from like your perspective. Maybe your superpower is just your different perspective in on life and like sharing that, or maybe it's your way of telling stories or maybe it's your way of capturing moments on a photo or it's your way of telling the truth no matter what um, or it can be just a skill like your superpower is how amazing you can like take a photo or the edits that you make so it really is like finding what's what's your superpower and sharing that and then you'll see results from it because you're being authentic I'm going to reach through the third wall of the radio right now and I'm going to talk to the listeners because I think Katarina has such a good point. Um, I came from a very small town in West Tennessee. It was McDonald's and cotton fields and uh, 
there's really nothing going on there and flunk out of college and start delivering pizza and chocolate. I had all these, these jobs around the city of Memphis that just kind of paid rent, kept me afloat. And my superpower, I, I didn't look at it like this at the time, but it, it turned out to be writing. So I began blogging. And as I blogged, I began to travel. And as I began to mesh the two, I had a lucky break. And I think that's what it takes. I mean, an editor at Travel Channel reached out to me and said, yo, we need young people. I was, I was quite a bit younger at the time. And um, we want your voice. Will you come work for Travel Channel? And, well, of course, you know, I'm not doing anything really, but uh, sort of a series of, of jobs that weren't really going anywhere at the time. So for everyone out there that's listening to this that thinks they can't do what Katerina does or they can't do what I do, I would challenge you because I think you can. Uh, it's a matter of determination, of willpower, of finding your one skill and zeroing in on it and allowing it to help you grow. Yep, yep. And being persistent too, It's uh, you can't do it for a day and think, oh, no, it didn't work. Yeah, totally. So as this balloon comes down and you sort of re-enter reality, how how do you land a hot air balloon? Oh my God, it's uh, it's a very interesting experience because there's no you can't control where the balloon goes. The only thing they control is if it goes up or down, okay. uh, which is why if you go anywhere that you see hot air balloons, you're going to see that they land on the most random places. They will land, for example, in Napa Valley, they land on someone's backyard or they will land in just random places because you have no way of controlling where they land. Um, so they will try to go up and down and take the winds to whatever direction they need to go, but it's not a perfect science. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically what happens is they have this trucks with um, all their staff because on the balloon there's only the pilot and a co-pilot um, and then all the, the other people. And so they have this all these people, like probably 10 um, guys in this truck um, that they just followed just follows the balloon from the ground um, on this empty fields and so like a chase they will team. be on radio with the pilot it's a chase team exactly they're just chasing the balloon they are on the radio all the time talking to the pilot and kind of trying to like decide where they go but like there's no way to control and that's interesting because when you are um, not on the balloon but you are in your hotel and you want to see the balloons go up you never know what direction they're gonna go. So they can, all the balloons can come right into town and just like be, you can basically reach the balloon with your hand from your hotel rooftop, or they can go to the like completely other side into the fields. Um, every day, depending on the wind, they will go one direction and there's no way to know. So this, this truck just chases the balloon and the pilot keeps trying to come down and when they find the right window, uh, they will slowly come down and land and all those guys will come around so like when it's just a two feet from the ground they have a pretty good control of like going up and down so they can stay just two feet from the ground for as long as it needs and then all those guys will come around grab the basket and try to tie it and put it down um, so it's like it's it's interesting sometimes it can flip on the side so there's a landing position that you have to be on so it doesn't hurt your knees if there's like impact. Um, so they go through all those safety protocols and like what you need to do during landing. 
but ours was pretty smooth. Um, it just basically touched very gently, just touched the ground, and we just jumped um, out off of the basket. <laughs> that sounds like a complete circus. I know it's uh, it's so wild. So that's why they also don't know how long the flight is going to be because it really depends. <laughs> like it can be a forty-minute flight, it can be an hour and a half. It's usually around an hour, but they don't have a lot of control. Wow. Before we begin to wind down, I want to ask you about places in Turkey that don't get as much publicity because we've covered Cappadocia and Istanbul, and these are like the two prime locations that I think Americans are aware of. Yeah. And apologies to all the Australian listeners. I see you on the stats. I don't know why you're here, but welcome. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell us about somewhere else you've been. It looked like there was like a like a salt pool or something like that? Oh, yeah, that's Pamukkale. So um, I went to four other places. I went to a small beach town called Kash. Mm -hmm. Then I went to a little village, like very small village. I think there's only 500 people that live there. That's called Shirins. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing Shirins? this. Yeah. Right. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. And then we went to Ephesus, which is a really famous uh, Greek, um, ancient Greek uh, town that you visit yeah and fa finally to Pamukkale which is the one that you were referring to which is this beautiful natural travertine pools um, made of minerals and it's just it's just another if again it feels like another planet is that near Ephesus that is uh, a few a couple hours drive if I'm not wrong from Ephesus you know, it's interesting, um, you bring up the Greek history in Turkey, but I believe that archaeologists have zeroed in on Turkey as the location of, like, the lost city of Troy, and, I mean, just an insane amount of ancient, ancient history there. There's so much, yeah. Um, like in Pamukkale specific, um, that was one of the pools of Pamukkale is called the, um, what is it called? The, uh, I forget now. It's where, like, ancient Greeks um, and people from like the Roman Empire would take baths. Um, so it's just so there's just so much history, and even um, they say that um, there's a lot of like Catholic history that happened in in Turkey too. A lot of these places you can uh, visit where uh, the mother of Jesus uh, probably lived on her like late uh, days. Um, you can visit like te Greek temples, this little village that I went to, Shirins. It's all Greek people that live there. Um, oh, well, they, they're descendants from uh, Greek. Mm -hmm. And you see the churches there are all Greek churches, the little villages. You just feel like you are in Greece or Croatia. It's, there's just so much history. So when you compare that town to like a place like Santorini, did it feel similar? It felt very similar to Greece. The 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 coast to me, if I like, if you just put me there without telling me where I was and without looking at language, I would probably have guessed Greece. That is so um, fascinating. Yeah, it's like the you can tell by the architecture, the colors, the type of food, um, and the landscape too. Like when you go to the beach and it's those like pebbles, but beautiful turquoise. Uh, water that's cold that just feels like Greece and you can see Greece actually from the coast of Turkey because all the islands that are just like maybe a 20 minute boat uh, ride that's Greece 
Uh, so you can swim to Greece from Turkey. So it's like all right there. So as we kind of start to put a button on this episode, one of the things that I initially wanted to reach out to you about is the role of travel influencers during a pandemic. Yep. This has obviously been such a challenging time for everyone. And a lot of writers have lost their jobs. A lot of everyday people have lost their jobs. And as an influencer, you still get to go out and live this incredible life. Uh, what, what kind of responsibilities do you feel that you have right now with your platform? I think we've always had this responsibility, but it's just bigger than ever and more important than ever right now is um, to set a good example. And I think there has been countless studies that prove that airport lanes are actually super safe um, and safer than going to the grocery store, even if you were sitting next to strangers because of safety protocols, the air filters, the way the air is circulated. So it's actually really hard to get COVID while flying. But the problem is when you get to a destination and you stop being careful because you think you're on vacation. Um, I think that's where travel influencers need to set the example, encourage the use of masks. If you're doing stories, all of that, wear your masks, even if you're not around other people to set the example, social distancing and show different ways of enjoying trips in a safe way. So perhaps changing your itinerary and activities to be more outdoors, more off the beaten path, go explore this little village in Turkey instead of spending so much time in Istanbul. Um, I think we also need to be careful with the partners we choose and the hotels we stay and do our research on their, the, what are they doing, what are they safe, their safety protocols, what are the cleaning protocols, um, and share that with our audiences too. And I think the other two things that I think are really important to me is one highlight the importance of supporting local family businesses when traveling is right. now more important than ever. Um, I think not only just sharing that message and saying that, but actually showing that you do that too. Like here I am in the small family businesses do, doing X, Y, and Z and supporting them in this way. And share your recommendations of like places that people could go to because um, you're doing the research for them and they are mo more likely to do it if like you already share the specific places instead of just saying, oh, support local businesses. And I think lastly... One thing that's really important to me is to encourage my audience to get tested before and after each trip, even when it's not a requirement. So a lot of destinations, for example, Bora Bora, it's required that you get a test before. But Turkey, it's not. You can travel without a test. But um, I showed on my stories that I got tested before Turkey and that I get, got tested on the way back from Turkey. And I do it even on local trips within the U.S. Um, I think it's the right thing to do for your own sake because you do not want to travel sick without knowing and then develop symptoms when you are in a remote location abroad, <laughs> but yeah. also for the safety of others and respect for the country you're visiting. So you're not bringing that into their country too. Yeah. I think for me, a couple of things that you hit that really resonate with me is, is bringing it to somebody else. Um, and the nature of what I'm, what I'm into these days is that I would probably be more likely to, inadvertently carry it to another country uh, and I would not want to do that I mean that's it's a huge burden to go to some archaeological site in Guatemala um, shout out to Mirador project um, I, I just can't 
reconcile that in my mind is like go it's almost to me like an equivalent of Columbus coming over here with you know smallpox and all that shit and yep. killing yep. you know because there's no telling how many people you accidentally kill just because you are unintentionally or intentionally careless so to me I think it's important to be mindful of also where you go and what are the medical facilities there like what is the medical situation um an example that I have is, uh, let's see, what, it's December 2020, I was planning to go out to L.A., meet up with some friends and work on some projects, uh, the business things to do out there. But as it stands right now, as I'm recording this, the hospitals are really overcrowded, not just in Memphis, but there. So whereas this summer I felt OK going out to California, now I absolutely don't. And I think until we have a control of this thing, that's just going to have to be the way it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they are struggling. These places are struggling enough with the pandemic because they depend on tourist, uh, on tourism. You don't want to bring just another problem um, to them and, like, spread, like, everywhere in capital care, for example, unintentionally, unintentionally. So I think that's why, like, I've been so big on sharing that you should get tested before flying, even when it's not a requirement. Um because I think it's just you don't want to do that to people who are already struggling so much. Totally. And I also think this, um, maybe you can relate. I think that if you've been to a destination already, you know, maybe it's, it's years ago, but it's a place that really sticks with you and helped change your life as travel does. I would even encourage listeners to go out and look for local places to donate money if they can. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like these businesses, they need your help right now. I mean, there are adventure, des- you know, adventure tourism companies that are going out of business, restaurants, of course. Um, people that rely on tourism need your money. And if you had a great experience years ago, if there's someone that changed your life, why not reach back out if you can? Yeah, and if you can donate money, think of other ways you can support them. Sometimes even just a TripAdvisor review helps them immensely as a small business. So, and if you didn't do a review back then, why not submit a review right now to like support them? Or, and I know a lot of places are also doing like virtual experiences or they're selling products or just other ways of making a little bit of money. So you can support them like that too. So we're gonna wind down here, but I wanted to ask you final thoughts on Turkey. Oh my God, Turkey really, I think, as I mentioned, it was already on my uh, list of like dream destinations. But I think even though my expectations were super high, it exceeded all my expectations. I just didn't expect that much culture and such a welcoming, uh, a welcoming people too. They were, everyone was just so nice and so um, happy that we were there, um, super helpful. And it's just like so, the food is amazing. The landscape is so diverse. You go from this huge city that is Istanbul to a turquoise beach in a little village that looks like Greece just a few hours from Istanbul. And then you go to this place that looks like the moon. Um, There's just so much to see um, that it just exceeded all my expectations. And I will definitely be back. I've got to put that on my bucket list, too. Is I've been close. I was in Bulgaria, but I didn't quite get to Turkey on that trip. So, Katarina, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Everybody follow her on Instagram, Professional Traveler. And if you're interested in getting into the life of travel, take one of her master courses. Um, I think it's something that you absolutely should do to educate yourself on the behind the scenes work that goes into running uh, a digital brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that I was able to come uh, and participate in your show. It's been uh, such an honor. My pleasure. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow us on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast. Visit our website, getlostpod.com.